Good morning, everybody. Um, please keep your Bibles open. Thank you for that uh, brilliant reading. And we're going to be uh, focusing particularly on the first couple of verses of that passage. So if you have shut your Bibles, I'd encourage them to, for you to open them back up. Um, so I want to put a hypothesis before you today, which I would like you to work with uh, whilst I'm speaking to you. What if we understood that we have been uniquely placed in the world? That there is no one else who has the same relationships as, as us. We have been created so completely uniquely that only we have the position we hold. We are irreplaceable because even if someone was to inhabit our lives and take on the friendships and acquaintances we have, they would still not be us in the unique way we have been made and the unique way we conduct ourselves. All the different parts of us that make up our personalities and characters, the way we use our voices, the different emphasis we put on words, the way we use our faces and our body language, the way we stand or sit, we are completely irreplaceable. Just let that sink in. We have been uniquely placed in the world and we are completely irreplaceable. Now, there is something about our Britishness that, makes, that might make us feel very uncomfortable about taking on such a bold claim. Is it boastful? Is it proud? Well, just for today, those of us who are British, let's try and put that aside and believe for the next few minutes that we have been uniquely placed in the world and we are completely irreplaceable. What happens when we start to believe that? What happens when we start to believe that God is behind that? We have been uniquely placed by God. God has used the circumstances in our lives, good and bad, to bring us to this place we are in at our lives now. All of us, whether able-bodied or not, whether we are sick or well, whether we feel fulfilled in how we spend our days or we don't. In fact, if we don't feel fulfilled, how might it change the way we feel to know that God has placed us there and we can still be used by him? And God thinks we are completely irreplaceable. No one can have the interactions we have with the people um, we come into contact with, are related to, or have friendships or acquaintances with. And what if all of this is because God, the God who rescued us and saved us and has shown us the greatest love, the greater love, the greatest love imaginable to us has something for us to do, something only we can do. I'm not sure how you feel after Christmas. Maybe you relate all too well to this meme. I don't know if you've seen it on the internet. It says, name's Bond, James Bond, and you are biscuits, cheese biscuits. Um, I certainly feel at the moment, if you cut me, I would be, it would be cheese and biscuits and Baileys. Um, but I hope after hearing that you have been uniquely placed for a special mission that only you can do, that now you feel more like James Bond on his majesty's secret service. Because that is what our passage today tells us we should be feeling. We are James Bond in our stories. And we have a special mission only we can fulfil. 
and an opportunity to change the part of the world we inhabit. And that is what we're going to be thinking about over the next few weeks as we start a new series called Frontlines. We're going to be thinking about what it means to have a frontline, a unique place we inhabit, and how God can use us there. And we've got an introduction video which hopefully will explain that. Over a month, around 6% of the UK gather together to worship Jesus. It feels like we're too few to make a difference. But the reality is, Monday to Saturday, God has us. Scattered in the world, connecting to hundreds and thousands of people. So wherever you are. Whoever you are. Whatever you do, you can make all the difference in the world. And on Sundays, when we gather together, we strengthen and empower one another to be sent out again for life on our front lines. So Monday to Saturday, God has us scattered in the world, connecting to hundreds and thousands of people. And we can make all the difference in the world, in our worlds, where we are placed. Our position was not so different from the Christians that Peter was writing to. If you look in our passage in 1 Peter 1, the readers lived in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, Five names describing four Roman provinces south of the Black Sea in what today is called Asia Minor, mostly in modern Turkey. In general, if we tell people we go to church, they will think it's because we're religious and it's what people like us do. Or they will think it's where our friends are and that it's a good place to connect with people. Or maybe they know how well we support one another and are pleased that we belong to such a community. Whilst there is a grain of truth in all these views, they miss what the New Testament suggests the church is all about. When Peter begins his letter to small groups of Christians scattered across ancient Turkey, he wants them to understand what it means to be the church and to inhabit our unique position. It says in verse 1, we are elect Whatever our journey to faith in Jesus was, when we surrendered to his lordship, we became part of this called people. We become part of the ongoing story of God's intention for the world. In the visual that we're using, we are the red dots. The red dots visualises the statistical fact that in the UK, around 6% of people worship in a Christian church once a month or more. It's not many, but it is significant. When we gather as worshippers, we remind ourselves that we believe a very particular story about the world. We believe it is God's. He created it. We believe it's broken because of sin. We believe that Jesus' death makes new life possible. 
We believe that one day everything will be transformed. We live as people with a distinct story in a culture that may not believe any of that. We are red dots. And when we gather, we do so to strengthen and encourage one another to be who we are, God's chosen people. But also in verse 1, it says we are exiles. The second term that Peter uses is one that recalls the great disaster of the Old Testament when Israel lost their land. At first, the Israelites had hoped for a quick return, but the prophets told them that most of that that first generation um, of exiles would not return, though they could remain distinct and be a blessing where they were. We are exiles. Although the term may be hard for some of us to associate with, as most of us are not um, forced to dwell away from our homeland, as the Israelites in exile were. The term exile, um, the Greek word, always refers to a temporary residence in a foreign place. It can also mean alien or stranger, although stranger implies not being known by our neighbours and the people we live amongst, which hopefully is not true for us. Abraham used that same word um, as ex- for exile when he called himself an alien among the Hittites. It's also the same word used in Hebrews 11 uh, when it says that about the heroes of the faith from Abel to Abraham, they acknowledge that they were aliens on the earth. It's the same word. So when we hear we're exiles, it might help us to think of it as those who reside as aliens which captures the idea of temporary residence away from one's homeland. Because we are caught in the reality that we have a home waiting for us in heaven. But we are also fully, we also fully live and participate in the earthly world we live in now. And Monday to Saturday, most of us are exiles. We reside as aliens, as we are also, like the readers of the letter, scattered for most of the time, as these red dots show. We don't spend all our time with fellow Christians. We may be the only disciple of Jesus at home, at work, in our class, or in the places we socialise. These are the places we are called to shine. So it's important that we don't grey out lose our distinctiveness and become the same as the surrounding culture. God has a plan in placing us in our scattered context. Remember my hypothesis, we are on a mission only we can complete because we have been uniquely placed. Frontline is a term to describe these places Of course, the word has lots of connotations. For some, it reminds us of a battlefield. And for some Christians, keeping a Christian witness is not easy. Others will have come across the term in their workplaces, classrooms, hospital wards, offices. Front lines are everyday places where we live, work, study or play. And we're likely to connect with people who aren't Christians We are all the scattered people of God. We all have front lines. I personally find this a bit harder now I'm training for the ministry as I'm surrounded by Christians most of the time. And I know I'm not alone. Some of us here work in Christian environments. 
So most of the people we come into contact with are Christians. So our front lines might not be as obvious as those of us who work in the world, those of us who work in secular environments, where we can easily recognise ourselves as a red dot among the grey ones. But we all have a front line. For some of us, it's in our families or homes or friendship groups. For some of us, it's with the people we come into contact with at groups or classes or places we socialise, sorry, or places we socialise, like the gym or sports teams we play on. My prayer for today is that we would all know where our front lines are and are able to name them very clearly. There is small group material to accompany these sermons, so hopefully many of you will be able to talk about this with your small group. And if you're not in a small group, then please speak to Anne, our curate who oversees the small groups, as now would be a really great time for you to join one. So we all have front lines because we are elected exiles. We are God's chosen living as aliens in the land. We are elected exiles. Nowhere else in ancient Jewish or Christian literature, does a writer refer to a group of people as both elect and exile, as Peter does here. We are spiritual exiles. Our true homeland is heaven. And any earthly residence, therefore, is temporary. Yet, we are chosen. The king of the universe has chosen us to be his own people, to benefit from his protection and to inhabit his heavenly kingdom in our own unique position. And we are dispersed. The term here has a new spiritual sense, referring to Christians dispersed throughout the area, throughout the city, throughout the the county, the world, and living away from their heavenly homeland, yet hoping someday to reach it. And we are not just elected and abandoned or exiled in the sense of being cut off, but where we are elected exiles, where we are chosen aliens, God is with us, within us and around us by God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And we can see the Trinity is clearly there in verse 2. It says, those who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Verse 2 mentions the three persons of the Trinity, God the Father, the Spirit, Jesus Christ. Peter specifies distinct actions by the different persons in the Trinity, yet sees them uniting to bring about a common goal, the eternal, full salvation of us, the elect exiles. It says in verse 2, our situations are known by God. It's his foreknowledge. We have been set apart by the Spirit, his sanctifying work. We can be confident of our relationship with God. The sprinkling of blood is a sign of being included in his covenant. And all that is in the context of being obedient to Jesus, aligning ourselves with Christ and his purposes in the world. 
Peter rejoices with his readers in all that God has done for us. And he reminds them and us that we live out the implications of the gospel in our scattered places. We are elect and we are exiles. The word in verse 2, foreknow, can refer not just to God's knowing a fact, but to his knowing people with a personal, loving, fatherly knowledge. Therefore, according to where it says in verse 2, according to the foreknowledge, suggests according to God's fatherly care for us before the world was made. According to God's fatherly care for us before the world was made. Pretty cool, isn't it? This implies that our status as exiles or aliens, our privileges as God's chosen people, even any hostile environments, were all known by God before the world began. All came about in accordance with his foreknowledge and all was in accordance with his fatherly love for his own people. Such foreknowledge is laden with comfort for Peter's readers and hopefully is laden with comfort for us today. He knows our situations. He sees us. Just as God's foreknowledge refers to the past time, refers in the past tense, sanctification by the Spirit speaks of a present influence. The unseen, unheard activity of God's Holy Spirit surrounds them and as and, and us, almost like a spiritual atmosphere in which we live and breathe, turning every circumstance, every sorrow, every hardship into a tool for his patient, sanctifying work. All with the great comforter, the Holy Spirit, comforting us as he just loves to do. The phrase in verse 2, for obedience to Jesus Christ, indicates God's purpose in the reader's present existence as exiles in their native lands. Their lives ought to be leading towards increasing obedience to Christ. What the Father plans and the Spirit empowers, Christ receives as exalted Saviour and ruling Lord. Peter's readers, of course, realised that their obedience in this life was always incomplete. That even the most mature Christians were painfully aware of remaining sin, as I know I am. And that God's purpose, obedience to Je- the, the purpose of being obedient to Jesus Christ, would never be completely fulfilled in this life. So Peter adds that their lives are also leading towards sprinkling with his blood, sprinkling with the blood. Sprinkled blood in the Old Testament was a visual reminder to God and to his people that her life had been given, a sacrifice had been paid, as we remember every week when we gather and worship Jesus together. And in our passage, it reminds us of the ongoing work that Jesus won at the cross, Although God intended these aliens to live, as it says in verse 2, for obedience to Jesus Christ, they were frequently defiled by sin. They frequently messed up. Something, again, I can relate to. 
Peter reminds them that their future includes continual sprinkling with the blood of Christ. That is continual restoration of fellowship with God and his people through the sacrificial blood of Christ, figuratively sprinkled over them. A continual reminder to God that their sins are forgiven and that they are welcome in God's presence and among his people. The idea of continual application of the blood of Christ in the Christian life. How I need that. How much comfort we can take as we are on our front lines, as elect exiles, in our unique positions, that we are held by the Holy Trinity, held by a Father who works behind all circumstances, held by the power of the Holy Spirit, covered by Jesus' blood, which has and continues to redeem us and cover our sins and bring us back into relationship with God. We are not alone on our front lines. We stand with three other people, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son. What a team. And the mission we have on our front lines is to point people to that greater love which won us before we knew we needed to be won. Our vision focus is, as Josh said earlier, greater love. And like the talk today should start with reminding us just how great God's love is for us, how much he has loved us and won for us and now has placed us uniquely why has he done that? Well, we'll think about this as our series continues over the next few weeks so that we can tell others of this greater love, that they would know how much God has loved them and won for them and has placed them uniquely and so on and so on. What we have the love we have been shown, the way we have been transformed, the turning of our lives from death to life, was not meant just to be kept in the gathering of the elect, but to be taken out by the elect exiles that we are. Now, every week that we are in this series of front lines, we're going to get a free gift. Now, if you're like me, you like a free gift. There's a reason to come back next week. Um, And this week, it's this coaster with a red dot. And it'd be great if we could could all take these coasters and put them on our front lines to remind us that we are elected exiles, chosen aliens with a special mission to bring this greater love to the people around us, just as once someone was that red dot for us and brought us from being a grey dot into being a red dot by telling us this greater love story. Put it on your desk or by your phone or on your coffee table if you have people over or whether you, as an elected exile, have a front line. For me, my obvious front line is with my family, uh, my wider family. So I don't know if I can sellotape this to my phone, um, but I certainly need to have it somewhere where I'm having conversations with my wider family. And our prayer is that as 
um, is that the red dots will spread as we take our front line seriously and the mission that God has given us to tell people about the greatest love there is and more people come to trust Jesus as Lord. The series will go on to explore the implications of this for us wherever we are, whatever we do and whoever we are. It finishes by looking at what it means to be a disciple-making community together for the sake of the world. We are red dots when we gather to strengthen one another as a distinct people. But we're also red dots when we scatter to many different places with many different people, people who can make all the difference in the world.